Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to pull them out. I encourage you to always bring a physical Bible. If you have one to church, you're welcome, of course, to look on your phone or tablet. But if you're like me, it's easy to get distracted with a little bloop, bloop, bloop that keeps coming through. This thing right here doesn't have any distractions. It's got one purpose. It's got one focus. It's got one message. And it's always right there in my face. Revelation is the last book of your Bible. If you're unfamiliar with it, just go all the way toward the back. We'll be in chapter one of the book of Revelation. And I want to start with our text. I want to read that up front so that you hear it very first thing as part of our message. So Revelation chapter one, beginning in verse nine. Hear the word of the Lord. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full Strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those are to, that are to take place. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Um, we've had some words that we repeat a little more often ever since we've started wearing these things. Uh, words that are very short, very simple, and not always polite, like, huh? <laughs> and what? <laughs> when we're wearing these things, it's a little harder to understand each other, isn't it? You know, when we're in more polite company, excuse me, would you mind saying that again? It, it, this covers over things and it muffles things, right? 
I was at a dinner this weekend in downtown Nashville in one of those buildings where masks are required. You have to wear masks to come in. And we're doing the check-in thing and in a line and getting our little name cards for this dinner thing that was connected to my daughter. It's not my dinner. I was going there to be with her. But uh, we had to wear masks to be in there. Now we're all going to be drinking and eating and we're all going to take these off in a moment. So it's kind of one of those things we're all doing, right? So we're all wearing this. And, and, and while the music's playing in the background, you're trying to meet people and catch people's names and hunk, excuse me, pardon me, could you say that one more time? Repeat this. The first line of the to that situation is this. Have you noticed it, right? When you have this on and someone asks you to repeat something, you just pull it out a little bit. Have you been doing that? I don't know. When we figured that out, you just kind of pull it out a little bit. The sound escapes and you snap it back on. People are just pulling things out, saying this, put it back on, pulling things out, putting it back on. I understand. Then finally, if you've had to ask three times, I caught most of it, but just the last word. What what was that last word? One more time. Some people just get all the way frustrated. Fine. And they drop it all the way. And then you hear them. It's a funny thing, right? When, they, when you pull this out, the sound is actually escaping just fine. There's really no more muffling when it's right here. But when you drop it, now I can see your mouth move. I can see your facial expressions. And because I can see, I can fill in the gaps of my hearing. Why do I share all that? Sometimes in order to listen well, we need to look closely. Sometimes in order to listen well, we need to look closely. It's very interesting to me in this passage, John says that he turned to see the voice. Did you notice that in the reading? He heard the voice behind him and the first thing he does is he turns to see the voice. We're starting a series called Listen. We'll be going through that for the next eight weeks, and that booklet we mentioned is just your guide through it. Several times in the first part of the book of Revelation, it says, listen to what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Listen to what the Spirit has to say to the churches. But then, as Christ is revealing things, he says to John, look and write down what you have seen. They go together. The voice comes together with the vision. Our looking comes together with our, with our listening. And we're going to look closely at the book of Revelation so that we can hear it. But why? Because we need to see the real Jesus. And we need to hear from that real Jesus. Have you noticed that there are a lot of Jesuses running around out there? Everybody seems to have their own version of Jesus that they've made up somewhere along the way, some sort of crazy cocktail of wackadoodle stuff. You know, you got the surfer dude Jesus, and you got the everything's fine with me Jesus, and, and we can just go through a whole list of things. Sometimes just go to the internet, look up all the different Jesuses you see. You'll see a whole blog with all kinds of different sorts of Jesuses, different clothes, different hairstyles, sunglasses, and everything else. Jesus is taking on many faces right? But the scripture is given to us for a reason, to help us see the actual Jesus. We don't get to make up Jesus. Jesus is actually real, and Jesus is who Jesus is. He's not what we make him up to be. We need to see the real Jesus. Let me just give you a few things that I saw in the book of Revelation, meditating on it the last two weeks, especially from this passage about the real Jesus. First, number one, we never see Jesus without seeing his church. We never see Jesus without seeing his church. Look back at the passage we just read, and you'll notice as we read through it, when John first turned down, what's the first thing he sees? I turned, verse 12, to see the voice that was speaking to me. On turning, I saw the seven golden lampstands. That's the first thing John mentions. 
Now, Jesus goes on to say in verse 19 and 20 that the seven golden lampstands represent the what? The churches. The seven lampstands are those seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. By the way, just a little plug, if you'll come back Wednesday night, I'll be talking to you about some of the historical background and images from uh, modern-day Turkey and walk you through all of these seven churches that we just talked about in a brief way. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm actually pretty excited about Wednesday. We're going to geek out on Revelation for a minute on Wednesday. I'm not going to go there now, though. That's why I gave the plug, so you don't have to ask about Thyatira and Pergamum and Sardis and everything else today. We'll do that Wednesday night. Uh, But today... What we notice here is he notices the lampstands, which are those seven churches. He's looking for Jesus, and what does he see first? The church. So I went back through and meditating on this to see if my hunch was right about what I felt like God was saying to me from this passage. And over and over again in the New Testament, this is what I see. Jesus shows up. The church is there. Veiled, but there. Think about the manger. I know we're past Christmas, but look, think about being at the manger for a moment. Jesus shows up in a manger, in a feeding trough, and what happens? God gathers a group of shepherds. God gathers a heavenly host, and we have the first worship service centered around the God become flesh. That moment, the very first moment, church shows up. Jesus goes to the temple. He's supposed to have his circumcision. We do the sort of dedicate your baby thing. Circumcision was that sort of thing. Seven days in, God wants to make sure they're not confused, that this isn't just an ordinary day at the temple. And two prophets are brought together. And those prophets are given a word from God to speak about Jesus, to glorify Jesus, to offer up prayers and a word on behalf of the people and church is there. That's at the temple. Think about by the sea, though. Now, I'm a fisherman. I love to fish. I love to fly fish. That's like my primary hobby. And what a lot of fishermen will say often is, you know, I'm sorry I wasn't there, Pastor, on Sunday, but I really feel just so close to God when I'm on the water. That's, I just meet Jesus there. And I would be lying if I told you I hadn't ever said that myself. But when we see Jesus by the water, It's interesting what Jesus does. The first thing he does when he's by that sea and he's out there in Galilee, he starts saying, hey, you, follow me. Then he teaches. Then he says to another one, hey, you, follow me. Then he gives the word. He says to another, hey, you, follow me. Then he gives the word. He's preaching and gathering for himself a church. And once those crowds are gathered, what does he do? He preaches the word again, and then when they're hungry, he breaks bread, and just so they're not confused, he makes it clear to them, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That weirded everybody out, because he's trying to tell them, look, this isn't just another teaching moment. I'm not just another special speaker. I'm not just a conference circuit guy. This is church. This is communion. You are partaking in me if you want to be a part of this thing. It's church on the cross. On the cross, he has a very interesting church. He's crucified in between two criminals. He gathers both unbelievers and believers. One of those criminals will be with him in paradise that day. The other one is just going to mock him. He gathers a group of soldiers. Some of them will never believe. They're just gambling and trying to get close. But one says, surely this man was the son of God. So worship begins to happen. Then he looks at his mother and his best friend and says, you aren't just friends. You are family because the church isn't just people collected together. We're spiritual family. Look, that's your mother. Look, that's your son. Church is supposed to care for each other. He's building church to be what church is supposed to be. Are you following me? Then past Jesus' life with Saul on the road to Damascus. Think about it. When Jesus comes to Saul on the road to Damascus, what does he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? 
me. Well, Saul hasn't been persecuting him. He's been killing the church. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're persecuting the church. You're persecuting me. You make things tough on the church. You're making it tough for me. I and the church are one. And maybe a lot of communities all across this country should think about that for a moment because there are a lot of people in this country who will say they're Christians, but then they go to the town councils and do everything they can to make it hard for the church. Now, what about these zoning issues? And I don't know if I want a parking lot there. And what about that traffic? And I'm not sure if I want a sign like that. And maybe they shouldn't add to their building. And they resist the church, resist the church, resist the church. They need to know, listen, when you persecute the church, when you resist the church, when you make laws to block the church, you're blocking Jesus. Well, and then with John on the Isle of Patmos, he turns around and the first thing he sees all around Jesus is the symbols of the church. We never see Jesus without seeing his church. We need to see the real Jesus. Pause for a moment there. Uh, You know, I've been here for a little while now, enjoying getting to know you. A lot of fun being with you. I'm having a blast. You may be miserable, but I'm having a blast doing what I'm doing. Really loving it. I know many of you probably feeling like you're starting to get to know me, kind of easing into who this Dave guy is. And you may feel like you're getting to know me better. That's great. Wonderful. Whether we're hooping it up like we were yesterday, Mario, which is, you know, we won. Just wanted to mention that real quickly, mostly because of Mario. Um, Whether we're hooping it up or eating breakfast, great breakfast yesterday with the men. What a fantastic group of men we have at this church. So grateful for you. At a friend's house last night, sharing food together. Friends here from the church. Stayed a little bit too late. Sorry, friends. We didn't look at the clock. (laughs) We were just having a good time. Missed missed what time it was. Got home late. It's fun. You, You may feel like you're getting to know me, but if you think you know me and you don't know my wife. My wife, Holly, she's right here. She hates to be highlighted, so I'm doing it again. Love you. She's wonderful, fantastic. You can't really fully know me if you don't know her. And even more importantly, if you came up to me at some point in my time here at Bethel, I'm new here, so this hasn't happened yet, so I can do it now. I've got to do it quick before it happens. Uh, Oh, you'll feel like I'm preaching at you. If you came up to me and said, Dave, we love you. I just just love you, Dave. But I just got to be honest, I hate Holly. Can't stand it. Can't stand it. Can't stand her. that, that would be very uh, impossible for me to feel the same thing at the same time. Now, you may have a problem with Holly. You may have a disagreement with Holly. Goodness sakes, she's human. She may sin. You may need to confront her. You may need to have a conversation with her to fix things. She may need to have a conversation with you to fix things. That's all church. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you say you hate her, but you love me, I'm sorry, you don't, you don't love me. Why? We're so intertwined. All of my hopes and joys are intertwined with her. All of my dreams are intertwined. We're one. We're one. Is she perfect? No. She's almost always right. Drives me nuts. She's almost always right. But is she perfect? No. She's not. But you got to love her if you're going to love me. Just it. But we got a lot of people saying, you know what, Dave? I just, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I love Jesus. I just those Christians. I just can't seem to stand those Christians. They're just driving me crazy. You know, I love Jesus, but I'm just connecting with Jesus elsewhere. And I'm not really into the church thing. I'm sorry, but you can't put those two together and have it make sense to him. We've got to make sense to him. 
He loves his church. As a matter of fact, we get to be married to him. It's some sort of weird thing I don't fully understand yet, but at the end of time, when we're in glory, there's going to be a huge wedding feast, and he marries us. I don't know why. I don't know what he sees in us. Do you? I mean, I look at you, and I kind of get it, but I look at me, and I go, I don't know. What is this all about? He loves this broken mess, and we are a bunch of broken people. Are Christians perfect? No, we're just a bunch of messed up people stumbling towards glory. We're just a bunch of sick people in a hospital trying to get to the great physician. None of us are perfect. If you think you're perfect, come to the altar immediately following the service. Maybe right now, because you're not, and you need the Lord. We're a mess. Jesus loves this mess. We need to see the real Jesus. Number two, we always see Jesus as both man and God. It's both. You heard me say the other Sunday that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's fully human, fully divine. He's not 50% one, 50% the other. That There's not 70, 30, not 80, 20, not 90, 10. He's 100% human, 100% divine. It's a divine mystery we won't fully understand, but God became human and will stay human for all time in the person of Jesus Christ. He was born human. He died human. He was resurrected human to a glorified human body. And there's some pretty important things that teaches us. Let me just say some things about the human Jesus I see in verse 13, 14 of there. Let me read it to you again. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. You hear it? Which, of course, is a code phrase for the Messiah, but son of man, emphasizing his humanity. humanity. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Eyes like flames of fire. Feet like burnished bronze. There's some more there, but let me just start with some things I see in this Jesus. First of all, John saw a brown Jesus. John saw a brown Jesus. Now, these are feet of burnished bronze. Now, I know we don't really talk about burnished bronze. We don't always know what that is necessarily, but let me just tell you, this color is not it. That ain't burnished bronze. Now, I'm not really exactly white, you know, because it's not really true. I'm the closest to it that I'll be, you know, this time of year is closer and closer to white. But it's more like, I don't know, not burnished bronze, maybe curdled milk. (laughs) I don't know what this color is. It's not exactly white. But I, I know it's not the same that's on the skin of my Lord. I'm fine with my skin. He made me the way I am. Don't hear me wrong. There's nothing wrong with this. But it's not what he is. He came as a certain kind of person. God, for his own reasons, chose the Jews. That group of people who've been hated all over the world, not because they should be hated, but because the world is full of hate. And God chose the hateful. God chose them and came as one of them to forever say, they're mine. They're mine. And he came in that Afro-Asian group of people mingling back and forth between Asia over into Palestine, back over into Syria, back and forth all around in that space. It's not this color. I'm telling you, Jesus is brown. And he didn't stop being brown when he got resurrected. He stayed who he is. And I think that's a really fun thing to say this time of year. John saw an old Jesus. And John didn't just see a brown Jesus. John saw an old Jesus. Did you, did you see? Oh, first, let me just turn back to the brown thing. I had a picture for you. Can, sorry, I skipped it. Let's get, there you go. I wanted to show that to you. I just thought you'd appreciate that. If you don't know what burnished bronze is, it's the third one down. There's burnished bronze. It's not cocoa either. Just saying. I'm just saying. God loves us all. Chocolate, caramel, vanilla, whatever. But... That's burnished bronze. Okay, all right. Uh, now let's go to the next picture because John saw an old Jesus. The next picture is sheepskin. 
Do you have the sheep skin there for the sheep, sheep wool, whatever? So there's white wool. That's what it looks like. It's got a little bit of kink to the hair. It's not straight ironed hair. It's not surfer Jesus hair. It's not, definitely not blonde hair. It's, it's old hair, number one. It's kind of, the, the texture's like wool, but it's old, right? He is the ancient of days. You see what I'm saying? He is the ancient of days. We worship youth in our culture. We, we worship the smooth and the young, and forgive me for saying it, but immature. We don't want the marks of suffering that are required to have the experience that leads to wisdom. We don't want the folds that come when you get to be elderly. We don't want to honor the elders. We want to diminish the elders. We want to worship the culture of the new, and I'm sorry if you're part of the new, it won't be very long. You're going to be part of the old. That's where we're all going. Look to your neighbor and say you're getting a little older. Look to your other neighbor and say you're getting pretty old. Look back to your first neighbor and say, I don't look half as old as you. No, just kidding. Don't do that. Don't, don't stop. Stop, stop. Don't, don't know. There's punches happening. I see some punches. You see, we laugh about it because we know, and it's wacky, isn't it? We're all getting older. You're going to keep getting older. You are going to be 10,000 years old and aging. Praise God. You're going to be a million years old and aging. John saw an old Jesus. John saw, now moving on to his divinity, John saw Jesus in his power. Long robes of a priest or a judge, a golden sash to symbolize his royalty. His eyes are like a flame of fire because our God is a consuming fire and he is not satisfied with getting part of you. If you want to come to the real Jesus, the real Jesus will look at you with eyes like fire and consume every part of your life until all of you is on fire for him. Anything that can't be the fire for him will get burned up in the power of his presence and he will remove it from you day by day, week after week until you can say, my God is a consuming fire and I am consumed by him. I want nothing else than his power in my life every day. I want nothing more than his affirming, gracious gaze on me and anything that has to go for me to be consumed, let it go. This is a Lord full of power. He may be human, but don't mess it up. He's divine. He is divine. Don't give in to this little kind, mamby-pamby, milk toast, gotta make you happy, please everybody. Don't upset anybody, Jesus. This is the same Jesus that said, brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs, Wicked, evil, you know, we'd say all kinds of things about him, but you know, people say, oh, Jesus would never judge. I'm sorry, but he's wearing the judge's robe. He is going to sit on the judge's throne. I'm not saying we should be judgmental, don't get me wrong, but there is a judge. We need to see the real Jesus. John saw all of our Jesus, all of our Jesus. His face is shining like the sun in its full glory. Scientists tell us that the sun is actually truly white, which means it is projecting all the colors of the spectrum. Do you have the spectrum colors of the sun for me? These are the colors that are in the light of the sun. Now, isn't that fun? Now, number one, that's emanating power and glory, and John falls like he's dead at his feet in fear because he's so powerful and blinding. But 
in Jesus' face are all the colors, not just of humanity, but all the colors of the cosmos. Everything that has been created comes and emanates from him and is still within him. When we see Jesus, we see all of our Jesus. He's not just some of our Jesus. He's all of our Jesus, and he is the creator of the cosmos and the uniter of the church. We need to see the real Jesus. Have you seen the real Jesus? Number three, we see Jesus' glory clearest when the church is at its best. In verse 19, uh, verse 19 of chapter one, it says, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are to come and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the churches, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. That word angels is the Greek word angelos, and angelos is a messenger sent by God, and it could either be a heavenly being or a human being, and only the context tells you which is which. I believe here we have human beings spoken of because in each of the churches that are going to be mentioned the next eight weeks, you'll hear a correction given to the angel of the church, and it's given in the singular in the Greek, speaking to a single person. In other words, the person who is supposed to hold the word, who is supposed to be the messenger for that church, to guide that church, needed to be corrected. And last I checked, the only kind of angels that need correcting are demons, and they're not willing to be corrected. So what does that tell me? Let me give you some things quick. Fly through these quickly. If you're taking notes, you're gonna have to write fast. Every church is meant to be a light bearer. Lift it up on a stand for all to see. We're supposed to spread light to the world. We're not supposed to spread darkness. We need to cleanse out every part of darkness that might be among us, and we can't take that lightly. Holiness is a big deal. Holiness is a key thing. We're supposed to be holy because God is holy, and he wants to make us holy. We can't make ourselves holy. Only he can. We're not trying to judge or shame. We're just trying to move towards him so that we can emanate his light. Every church is meant to spread God's glory. We're not supposed to spread our own glory. We're not trying to make Bethel's name great. Who cares? We're not even trying to make James Lowe's name great. Now, I think he is the lead star in God's hand for us. He's that messenger that bears the weight of God saying any correction that needs to be said to us through him and to him. He's got to bear that weight. But we don't need to lift his name up. We got to lift, we got to lift Bethel's name up. We need Jesus' name glorified. Only he is worthy of all the glory that we sang of before. We're trying to proclaim his glory. Third, every church needs guidance and correction, Bethel included. Raise your hand if you think we got it all together. You must have been here a week or two. Because I don't see anybody. We don't. That means we need guidance and correction. And last, every church needs spiritual leadership who receives guidance and correction, and that includes me. When Pastor James is getting out of line between his humanness and his flesh, he needs someone like me to be able to stand up to him and say, listen, I love you, and I honor you, but you gotta stop this. And when I'm starting to get out of line, I need someone like Pastor James to stand up to me and say, Dave, cut it out, love you, stop it, love you, cut it out, love you, quit. Do you need me to show you where? Here, Dave, right there. Stop that. We need that. Because if we don't do that, we will not be spreading the light of Christ, the glory of God. We won't be bringing light and glory to the world. Instead, we'll do the opposite, and that's a real danger. But that also means every spiritual leader in the house needs the same. You a life group leader? They're under your care. 
We need you to be corrected and guided by somebody. You're leading the children's ministry. You're leading in the, in the youth. You're leading grief care. You're leading in men's ministry. We need you to be corrected and guided by God and by somebody else. There's too much under your care. All right, I'm gonna give you three fast takeaways. If you've been sitting there thinking, great, Pastor Dave, now what do I do? Here they are. Three. Number one, if you see a Jesus without the church, don't listen to him. That's not the real Jesus. If you see a messenger who's claiming to speak on behalf of Jesus, who's disregarding the church, rejecting the church, dissing the church, diminishing the church, stepping away from the church and saying we don't need the church, that's not the real messenger, that's not the real Jesus, just walk away. You can walk away shaking your head, you can walk away praying for them, you can walk away in tears, but walk away. That's not the right church, that's not the right Jesus, that's not the right messenger. If you hear me disregarding the church, rejecting the church, walk away from me. That's not the real Jesus. Number two, listen to the Jesus you find in the word, not in the world. The world is going to try to give you all kinds of impressions about who this Jesus is. And they're going to twist this word just like Satan twisted the word to Jesus. That's why you've got to be in this word. That's why we're asking you to listen and read this word every month this year. We want you to get through the New Testament, hear the words of Jesus again and again. Will it take time? Yes. Is it worth it? (laughs) You better believe it. (laughs) It is worth it. Number three, the most important of all. Number three, make the church as important to you as it is to Jesus. It's his bride. I'm not just talking about the institution or the building. I'm talking about the people of God. The people of God are the church, you see? Please don't hear me wrongly. But make the church as important to you as it is to Jesus. Now, I don't have directives to give you because I don't know what needs adjusted in your life, but I promise you, if you go with that authentic prayer to the Lord and you say, Lord, help me make the church as important to me as it is to you, how do I do that? He'll let you know. If you go sincerely and you go openly and you lay yourself out, surrender to him, and you listen, he'll give you marching orders. I promise you. Is the stadium more important than the church? Is the baseball diamond more important than the church? Is that flat screen more important than the church? Is a long morning in my pajamas more important to me than the church? Is somebody else's opinion of me more important than the church? Make the church as important to you as it is to Jesus. If we do that, you won't be able to stop this church. Pastor James is down in New Orleans right now. We're launching a church down there. We got 60, 70 people meeting each week. Pastor Rice is leading that. James is joining him today to preach for them. Uh, Shane and Kristen have gone down. Pastor Will, I believe you're going down. Lots of people are going down back and forth. We're trying to help get this church launched. This is a church planting church. It's what we do. But if we make the church as important to us as it is to Jesus, I guarantee you we'll be forgetting about New Orleans almost before long because you won't be able to stop this church. And it won't just be church plants. It'll be homeless being fed. It'll be people getting roofs over their heads. It'll be clothes on kids' backs who couldn't afford clothes. It'll be people reading that weren't able to read, reaching grade level that weren't at grade level, poverty cycles, broken families brought back together, marriages reconciled. If we make the church as important to us as it is to Jesus, you won't be able to stop this church. Because Jesus promised that. I will build my church and you will not be able to shake it. The the gates of hell won't be able to overcome it. 
Would you stand with me? Stand with me. Let's just enter a moment of prayer. Would you, in your own way, say this to the Lord, either privately in your own mind, you want to say it softly there in your seats, that's fine. Just say, Lord, help me make the church as important to me as it is to you. What do I need to do? Only you know, Lord. Say that to him. 